So sevens are the busy variety seeking type. This is, um, like you said, the spark plug of the Enneagram. They're often considered like the most fun to be around. Um, they're the enthusiasts. They, they bring energy and life and a lot of goodness to the world. Uh, they are spontaneous, um, but the opposite side of that is they can often be scattered and um, they usually have a lot of talents, right? Like they're good at a lot of things, but they may not specialize in one thing or another. Introversion and extroversion isn't always the most helpful with the Enneagram. It doesn't uh, line up the best, but for sevens, almost all sevens are extroverts. Um, much like how fives, most fives are introverts. It's not always the case, but uh, most sevens are extroverted. They are also, uh, one way I saw it described was they're kind of like kids in the candy store, right? Like they go in and it's just like this awe, this amazement at everything. They marvel at the world, right? Things that catch their attentions, people who are dominant in number sevens, um, just marvel at so much of the world in a way that brings joy, in a way that brings life, um, in a way that brings excitement. Uh, they're, they're good people to have around. Like you said in the teaching, they bring this positivity that uh, we, we desperately need. So their motivations, uh, their, uh, what, what drives them, what are their desires, what kind of forces them to be the way that they are. Uh, sevens want to have freedom. They want to have happiness. Uh, they want to feel content and satisfied, which obviously you could say for most everybody, but for sevens, this is fulfilled by experiencing everything, right? Like they, they, they want to experience things. They want to do things. They want to know things. They want to sample from every single course and option because um, they want the best. They want to experience the fullness of life in a way that other numbers don't quite um, don't quite go to the extent that they do. Unfortunately, this sometimes this can be construed in their head towards like this bliss of life instead of real happiness, and that comes at a detriment to their health. Um, this this bliss of but be ignorant of the pain that's in themselves, right? So the plus side is they experience life more fully than most other people. Um, but negative side is they may not experience the negative sides of life um, in a helpful way. They may want to ignore that pain. And this, uh, this brings us to their basic fear. Oop. That is not on there. Clearly I forgot to add it. Um, so their basic fear is being deprived of this goodness, right? They're, they're scared of a pain that is deep within them um, and so they do what they can to ignore it and sometimes it's in a healthy way uh, but sometimes it's really not right like they they are always occupied by something and that occupation by things means that they don't have to really deal with this stuff like the real crap and the real stuff of life um, but they can keep experiencing things and keep being happy and feel satisfied for a time, right? But uh, the problem is that satisfaction is, it's hard to really satisfy it if you don't deal with the negative stuff too. You, you're always searching for the next thing instead of 
like you said in the teaching, instead of really diving deep into yourself and into things. So they're afraid um, when their mind isn't occupied that um, these these pain things will bubble up. Um, if if sevens go to a buffet, they want to try everything, right? Just to figure out what the best thing is so that they can end, like then eat more of that best thing. But you have to try everything to know what the best thing is. Or maybe it's like an ice cream shop where you can sample things. Um, I don't know if they do that anymore with COVID, but <laughs> before COVID, you go to an ice cream shop and you can get little samples. They see like 10 things that sound good. They want to try them all. That way they make the best decision, right? They, they want the best and like the fullest life and the fullest happiness and they want freedom of it. So like trying all of it means that they can make the correct decision, the happiest decision, what's going to be the best um, instead of just maybe sampling one or two and going with one that you really like. So they will also choose, uh, like I said, freedom, this idea that they, they like freedom and they like happiness. Um, so they like options in life. Um, and this is, they like, maybe for a job, they like to be able to do different things with their job. They like for their job to be variety based, not the same mundane thing every day. With some people that would be comforting, right? Doing the same thing each day is comforting. For sevens, they want something new and different as much as they possibly can. But this freedom that they always desire and seek out, their next decision will likely be the one that has the most freedom again and the most options. And then the next decision will do the same. And then the next decision will do the same. And they'll keep choosing things that have so many options that they then have to sample and try that they get really overexerted. They get exhausted. They get tired. Right? They have a lot of energy, but they still tend to overexert themselves because they want to try new, fun, exciting things. This endless search for happiness and fulfillment and freedom um, comes at the detriment of their health. Um, it may ruin relationships, it may ruin their finances, um, because they're willing to risk things um, that they maybe shouldn't risk. So sevens are so much fun. Um, when they're healthy, they're just an absolute joy, but when they're unhealthy, it can come at a detriment to those closest to them um, but really to themselves especially. So in times of stress and growth, um, in times of stress, sevens move to one. So they start taking on some of the attributes of a one. We haven't talked about a one yet, um, but kind of the negative things that they are likely to absorb and start kind of acting out on is they tend to become a little perfectionistic um, and a little critical. Now, the positive that sevens can learn to take from ones is maybe some order, <laughs> some structure in their lives. They can learn how ones, ones like structure, ones like things the way that they should be. Um, and sevens can learn that in that structure, there can be freedom, right? Freedom isn't just having any opportunity ever, um, but they can learn how to live into the structure that a one may uh, build for themselves. In times of growth, uh, sevens uh, move to five. So 
for example here, sevens, like we said, like, like the opportunity, like um, the imagination of life. So for a creative um, planning thing or an idea, they love the initial portion. Sevens eat up the brainstorming, dreaming phase, absolutely love it. Uh, but they may hate the detail-orientedness that will come next. They may not want to deal with the little bits and pieces. Um, but in times of health and in times of growth, sevens can learn to act like a five, right? Um, five was the first number we talked about, and we talked about how they tend to probe really, really deeply into something. Um, and sevens can learn, instead of their usual uh, kind of scatteredness, they can learn to be present with one thing, to probe deeply. Um, it's a very different uh, way of life, but sevens can really learn that growth path. Um, they can learn how to, how to be more focused and how to be more, um, really intensity is about the same for those sorts of things, but intense in one thing instead of 20,000 things. For wings, uh, again, wings are the numbers directly beside the dominant number. So people who are dominant in um, number seven, they either have a six or an eight wing. So the six wing, I saw it titled the entertainer. Um, so this, this person, a dominant seven who has a, a six wing, is a little more disciplined than a, just a regular seven. Uh, they are very protective over their friends and families. So sevens tend to have a lot of friends. People like to be around them, so they have a lot of people that they hang out with. And um, But six wings, uh, dominant sevens with six wings, they tend to be extra protective over their friends. They, they, want, they want to include everybody like most sevens do, but they get real protective. They want that loyalty, they value that loyalty. Um, and that's a gift. Those are good things. A, a dominant seven with an eight wing is titled the realist. And what I read about it mostly was uh, this, this type of person is a little bit less concerned with conflict. So a six wing uh, will want less conflict with friends. An eight wing is a little less concerned with conflict. Um, they, they're maybe a little more outspoken about topics, about issues, about their opinions. Um, and so they're, they're okay with some conflict in relationships because they realize that conflict isn't always bad, right? Um, sixes would have more of the tendency to, um, avoid, well, avoid the conflict just in the right way, but conflict means that that loyalty may be broken, so they don't want to deal with it. Right, but those who with an eight wing tend to be less concerned with it because it's not necessarily a negative thing. Famous people or fictional characters that are a dominant Enneagram seven, um, Jim Carrey, George Clooney. If you look up a list, it's a lot of comedians too. Um, I think Robin Williams was on the list that I was looking at, um, but then um, Katy Perry was on the list. The, I think the epitome of it is this Fred and George Weasley from Harry Potter. Um, like they're, yeah, I mean, they're just, it's a good time, right? Like they, they are, they're the fun in the movies for sure. Um, and Pippin and Mary, this is their full name, what you see on your screen, 
is the full names. Pippin and Mary from Lord of the Rings. Is anybody a Lord of the Rings fan? Nobody here is. Hopefully somebody online is. If you're not, you should watch it. Mary and Pippin are a lot of fun. They're these two hobbits that are cousins. Um, so they are, they're kind of the epitome. They're very similar to Fred and George um, in their role in the movies. So um, at their best, uh, sevens are full of life. They're uh, playful. They're just good to be around. They have a ton of talents, right? Like all... All sevens are usually multifaceted in their talents, um, but healthy sevens are ones that learn how to really apply those talents well. They don't just stay scattered with it, but they focus in, hone in, and learn to like apply them effectively for themselves and those that they care about. They Sevens just exude this goodness of life that we all want to feel. Like they, they embody that um, at their best. At their worst, uh, sevens are impatient. <laughs> They're impulsive. They go wherever they think the most fun, the most energy will be. Um, and they can be impossible to satisfy. Um, They're distracted and scattered um, at their worst, right? But there's these levels of health and unhealth and any dominant number and sevens are ones that um, I see and I'm like I want to enjoy life like them <laughs> like I I want to be able to experience the fullness like they do so they are a gift done it again in not putting this scripture reference. That's so not helpful. Um, okay. Um, but this is um, Jesus's sermon on the plane, and I'll talk a little bit about that in just a minute. Um, so let's, let's start with this scripture. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets." But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. But I say to you, listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, Pray for those who abuse you. This week, um, it's funny that we, uh, so I am a seven wing. I'm an eight with the seven wing. Um, and uh, this week, as I was reading about it, I was reminded of 
how strong my seven wing can be, um, especially um, especially on a week where uh, we have Prime Day on Amazon. Um, because one of the things that sevens, it's also a trait of eight, but sevens like to be comfortable and they like to have things in their life that... Uh, things um, that they enjoy um, and uh, <laughs> um, one of the the quotes that I read in um, the the book from Richard Rohr said something about that sevens above all uh, like to have things that again that make them feel comfortable that make them um, feel enjoyable that make every experience enjoyable and um, on our little hiking adventure a few weeks ago I showed up with a little fan that goes around my neck it was recently purchased and I was like oh so someone with an Enneagram seven wing is the kind of person who brings a fan that wraps around her neck so that at all times she will be comfortable while engaging with other people out in the heat that's that's what a seven does um and I've got this book that I'm going to share a little bit later, Love Does by Bob Goff. Um, this is, uh, he was in a couple of the podcasts that we shared with you all and um, is what I would say, at least from a distance, looks like a very healthy seven, but he is one of the most seven sevens you will ever read about or ever meet. And um, he has balloons on the cover because he brings balloons to everything. He just thinks everything is better with a big bouquet of balloons. Um, we'll talk about him in just a minute. So, so what's wrong with believing that anything is possible? What's wrong with always looking on the bright side or surrounding yourself with people and things you like and just wanting to do things that bring us enjoyment? A lot of us work hard to try to develop a life that includes at least some of those things. There's so many slogans that came to mind this week while working with the sevens. Um, it wasn't lost on me that in the middle of the night a few weeks ago when I was in pain and not sleeping, I got a targeted ad on Instagram for a bracelet that I'm wearing that uh, has a quote from Disney World, uh, from the Carousel of Progress, um, the song, There's a Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow. That's like the um, slogan for sevens. There's a great big beautiful tomorrow shining at the end of every day. Um, and in that moment of pain, I wanted to be reminded that there was this beautiful tomorrow. There was something on the other side of this. Um, there's a little more to that story, but, but basically, that is the epitome of Enneagram 7. Somewhere I have a sticker that I got at the Ben and Jerry's factory in Vermont that says, if it's not fun, why do it? And who's going to argue with the guys who make amazing ice cream? <laughs> Disneyland is the happiest place on earth and BMW is the ultimate driving machine. Red Bull gives you wings and Skittles allow you to taste the rainbow. I recently got a survey to give feedback on my new Mazda, and one of the questions they asked was, how important is it for you to have fun while you're driving your car in, in what you purchase? And uh, it reminded me that their slogan is Zoom Zoom, and they have a like a small child that says it in the commercials, because they pride themselves on how fun their vehicles are to drive. Um, how important is it for the vehicle you purchase to be fun to drive? I've, I've never purchased a vehicle for it to be fun, but I'll take it into consideration from now on. Um, 
In another scripture, other than the one we read just a moment ago, a young man comes to Jesus and asks what he must do to have eternal life. This was a rich young man. Let's say he was one of those types that's retiring at 30, that likes skydiving, has his pilot's license, has a nice house in Malibu overlooking the water and the coast, um, but also has a house out in Colorado for skiing uh, during the winter months. He does have a car that's fun to drive, and it is way more expensive than my Mazda. (laughs) He's traveled the world, and he hears about this Jesus. There's something about what Jesus says that makes him want to acquire all of that too. And so he goes to Jesus to see just what that is. Here's how the exchange goes according to the message. As he went out into the street, a man came running up, greeted him with great reverence and asked, good teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? Jesus said, why are you calling me good? No one is good, only God. You know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat. Honor your father and mother. He said, teacher, I have from my youth kept them all. Jesus looked him hard in the eye and loved him. He said, there's one thing left. Go sell whatever you own and give it to the poor. All your wealth will then be heavenly wealth and come follow me. The man's face clouded over. This was the last thing he expected to hear, and he walked off with a heavy heart. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. Eternal life was just one more thing to acquire. How do I get or how do I inherit? How do I possess it? Jesus doesn't ask other people in scripture to sell everything they have. So this request is specific for this young man. Jesus knew that his faith, his belief in who Jesus was, eternal life for this man was just one more thing to acquire, to possess in order to feel secure. There are branches of Christianity that have this kind of flair to them. If you want it, just claim it before God. Claim the blessings and they will appear. We call it the prosperity gospel. One online magazine defined it as the teaching the believers have a right to the blessings of health and wealth, and they can obtain these blessings through positive confessions of faith and the sowing of seeds through faithful payments of tithes and offerings. The reverse of this theology is also true, that it leads us to wonder what we've done wrong in our lives if we don't have health, wealth, and happiness. The problem isn't hope or whimsy or holy curiosity. I still believe those are really important spiritual disciplines. The problem is when these things become something to acquire, to avoid pain, to avoid feeling something too deep. The problem is when we begin building our lives clinging to those things because we believe that is where we will find safety and stability. It's forgetting that hope, whimsy, and holy curiosity are to lead us to God and how God is at work in the world. Those are not the ends to themselves. Only through Christ will any of us be satisfied. 
You can't protect yourself from pain. You can't keep moving to keep life from feeling mundane sometimes. You can't have meaningful relationships without some conflict. God does not promise us a life without these things, without sickness, without death, without the hard times. But the wonderful thing is that God is still enough. Even when it feels like the unthinkable has happened, even when the difficult thing we've been working to avoid comes along. I've shared about Kate Bowler, author, professor, and speaker. She studied and wrote a book on the prosperity gospel movement um, uh, and uh, this idea of being blessed. And then years later, um, she got cancer. Um, an untreatable form of cancer uh, in her 20s. Um, And her second book, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved, dives deep into her journey with cancer. She said, I can't reconcile the way that the world is jolted by events that are wonderful and terrible, the gorgeous and the tragic, except I'm beginning to believe that these opposites do not cancel each other out. What would it mean for Christians to give up that little piece of the American dream that says you are limitless? Everything is not possible. The mighty kingdom of God is not here yet. What if rich did not have to mean wealthy and and whole did not have to mean healed? What if people of the gospel meant we are simply people with good news? God is here. We are loved. It is enough. On social media, Kate does these great little thoughts and devotions every day. Um, And she ends everyone by saying, all right, my beloveds, have a beautiful, terrible day. This week, she said that someone asked me, uh, why do you keep asking us to have a beautiful, terrible day? Why not just beautiful? She says, well, it came from the thought I kept having when I first got sick that that somehow I could see more, feel more, appreciate more of the wide spectrum of life. And it turns out there's this perfect quote from pastor and writer Frederick Beekner who said, here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. Life can be both wonderful and terrible, gorgeous and tragic. These opposites do not cancel each other out. She also posted this uh, that I can share this week if you want to download it for your own computer or phone or uh, she sent it out as a reminder um, and encouragement that life is so beautiful and life is so hard. The truth is that until we have some of those bottom of the pit kinds of moments, along with the joys and the highs of life, it's until we have both that that we are able to know God more fully. Sevens and the rest of us know that God will show up in the hospital, in the struggling marriage, in the emptying bank account, in the conflict and in the confusion. The scriptures I read earlier, again, are from Jesus' Sermon on the Plain, which is where Jesus says that his message, his love, the promise of God is for all those who are on the margins, the ones that haven't been dealt a fair deal, those who are struggling or grieving. 
Jesus isn't just in the highs of life. The Spirit is waiting to be a comfort to you in the times that are tough. Sevens, we need you. We need your love for life, your spunk. We need your whimsy. We need your fun. Our world has way too little of it. And when you allow God into the middle of all of it, not just as another accessory, something to acquire as a backup plan or or part of the tools in your toolkit, you transform the world. Use your powers for good. This week, I have gotten lost in the books of Bob Goff. Um, He has two books out, and I have this one in a hard copy form, and the other I have begun listening to on Audible because I just felt like I just needed to be sucked into this kind of life and this this way of seeing faith. If you want to learn from a seven that takes his effervescent joy and brings it into the world, stepping into really dark places in the world to make a difference, this is your guy. Here's how Donald Miller, another author, talks author talks about Goff in his introduction to this uh, to his other book. Bob Goff loves people with a force that is natural, and by natural I mean like a waterfall, like a waterfall or wind or waves on the ocean. There's no explanation for a man who can love this well except for God. I think Bob Goff knows God, and I think God's love flows through him. This week, I've read again about how he used the profits from this book, along with other monies, to start schools in some of the most war-torn countries around the world to provide stability for the children now and hope for the future of these places. He goes out every morning in his pajamas into the garden every morning to find a rose for his beautiful sleeping wife. Then there's the old lady who ran into his Jeep, sending his body flying into the street, who he then sent flowers to. (laughs) There's a refugee camp outside Gulu where he dug wells and delivered pounds and pounds of clothes. He bought walkie-talkies for his single neighbor when she was diagnosed with cancer and talked with her every night using them before bed so she didn't feel alone. He and his family have been leading a parade on New Year's Day for over two decades where no one gets to be a spectator because everybody deserves to be in a parade. He carries around medals and gives them to people he meets along the way in life. And as he does, he speaks truth and love over them. One of these stories that he tells about giving a medal to was a, a limo driver who picked him up once to speak at an event in Disney World. Uh, halfway through uh, halfway through the trip to Disney, uh, after learning that this driver was about to retire, Bob leans through the window and goes, hey, have you ever ridden in the back of one of these things? It's pretty cool. And so he then convinced the limo driver to pull off so that he could give him the experience of riding in the back of his own limousine. And then when they arrived, he pinned him with a medal and spoke truth and love over him. Donald Miller goes on to say, I don't know how to explain Bob's love except to say it is utterly and delightfully devastating. You simply cannot live the same once you know him. He will wreck your American dream and help you to find your actual dream. He will wreck your crappy marriage and help you find a love story. To know Bob is to have a facade that you've spent your life maintaining beautifully strewn to ruins while like a friend he comes alongside you as you rebuild 
This is the power of transformation. This is the power of letting go of all the things we try to avoid or surround ourselves with so that we can keep as joyful, comfortable as possible and to lean into the transformation of Jesus. May it be said of all of us that not only do we give in to the transformation and, and aren't able to live the same, but may it be the influence we have in the world because we let go of the other things and fully take hold of eternal life that we can start experiencing here. May it be said that people simply cannot live the same once they've known us. I can't think of much else more beautiful.